0: and reading at their very best are a social experience whether it be a book club a poetry slam or the production of a play words are meant to be shared i'm your host amy and i'm your host carrie we've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading but in so many ways we are opposites carrie is a cat lover but i'm a dog nut amy loves a good party while i prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch but books are the tie that binds Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Listeners, we wanted to take this moment to thank Forward Radio for giving us the chance almost a year ago to broadcast a new radio show about books and reading. Their guidance and feedback has been invaluable. To check out more shows on their station, go to forwardradio.org or if in the Louisville, Kentucky area, you can check out 106.5 FM on your radio dial. As you continue to social distance, now that the weather's warming up, it's the perfect time to listen to our show while walking the dog, doing yard work, or washing the car. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or Facebook, Carrie and I will do a little happy dance. We probably all have memories of picking up a 25-cent postcard at a cheesy souvenir shop on a summer vacation to send to a friend or family member back home. The first postcard was invented by an Englishman in 1840, but now those iconic, colorful cards have whole websites, YouTube videos, and Pinterest boards devoted to them with themes such as the best ways to write a meaningful message in just a few lines, postcards as a writing process, and eight reasons you should be sending postcards right now. Our guest today, Anita Martin, puts much time and energy into melding two of her favorite things, postcards and books. Her website, Postcards and Authors, invites bibliophiles of all types, including writers, book clubs, and bookish podcasts, to send a postcard that lets readers get a glimpse of who they are. Anita talks to us about how picking out a postcard can give you insight into a person's personality, how books are just one facet of her desire to be a lifelong learner, what genre initially gave her the desire to always have a book in her hand and how one author's signature on his postcard made it one of her favorites.
1: Amy and I are on week, I don't even know. I don't know what day it is. I don't know when I showered or anything like that, but I know that we are recording remotely. And our guest today is Anita Martin. She is a book blogger. I think Amy was the one who met Anita through social media, and we have invited her to be a guest on our show today. So, Anita, thanks so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I just want to brag on myself a little bit and say that I did take a shower right before this meeting, (laughs) so I'm one step ahead of you, Carrie. (laughs) And I'm not in my sweats. I actually put on real clothes because even though we can't see each other, I like to feel like I'm being professional. Oh,
2: very good. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to say what my status is, so you can can probably guess.
0: (laughs) Well, Anita, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, I am a native Virginian. I was born in Norfolk, and I currently live in Richmond, the suburbs of Richmond, actually. And I lived in Arlington, which is in northern Virginia. And at that time, I was working as a computer programmer. I've worked at a couple of large corporations, one that's well-known, IBM. It was a good career, but I've moved on. So I'm living pretty much the typical family life, suburban life. And uh, over the years, I've had flexibility to do some other things that I've been interested in. So I've I've kept myself busy. Over the last few years, of course, I've been working on this website, Postcards and Authors, which is where I met the two of you. So give us a brief description of the website. Okay, it is a in a blog format, meaning each entry is pretty much separate. But I collect postcards from authors and book clubs and podcasters and a few other categories. I get the postcard and I scan it, both sides of it, and I put it on the blog post. And the author or whoever can choose whatever kind of postcard they'd like to choose. Sometimes a few people have chosen a copy of their books. They have promotion material that shows the cover of their books. But most people choose whatever they'd like to choose, funny things, serious things. So I scan both sides. And then I go to their website or their social media, and I pull some information to write a mini bio and synopsis of their latest book. It's not a review because I have not read every book. I try to do one per week. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I can do one per week and I can't read (laughs) that much. But anyway, the purpose is to promote them. And as far as book clubs are concerned, uh, I pull them in because I just feel that they're part of the genre and, and podcasters like yourself and just to give a little bit more variety to the website. The website that I've built and all the social media that feeds into it, like Instagram and Facebook, uh, I'm really enjoying meeting all the people like you all because yeah, I did meet you, Amy, via, I, it was probably Instagram. I can't exactly I think remember. So. yeah. So I may have reached out to you to ask if your book club would be. -hmm. On the website.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so at the time, I thought the premise of your website was very unique.
1: What was it that inspired you to create the blog, the postcard
2: blog? I've always liked books, of course. And well, maybe not always, but uh, in my adult years, I really like to read. And I really have a lot of respect for the authors who write them. So I, I actually used to write letters to the authors and give them my opinions of the books or ask them questions. So that's just something that's always been with me. And then I also like postcards. I began collecting postcards a long time ago, but I used to have a blog, a personal blog, and I used to write in that. And then I stopped, decided that I wanted another one that was more specific to a particular subject. And so books popped into my head. And I don't know. It all
1: kind of came together. So what inspired you to do something with postcards? Why are postcards part of what you do?
2: Oh, well, I've always liked to write and do the snail mail thing since I was a little kid. And uh, I remember postcards in particular. I discovered some postcards that my dad had from his military days. He and someone were corresponding back and forth with each other. And They were small postcards, smaller than they are nowadays, and they had caricatures on them and they were very colorful. And I just liked reading the little notes on the back, and I just thought it was very fascinating. I liked the stamp and the
1: postmark. So I'm, I'm just curious, with all the postcards that you have, you said you scan them for the website, but then do you just collect them and keep them in a special place in your home? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. I have those
2: boxes that people put their photographs in. They're, they're mm-hmm. shaped like a shoebox, I guess, but not exactly. But they're very good for postcards because a postcard is most of the time is the size of a six by four photographs. So those boxes work really well. I have two boxes. They are full. <laughs> so I would guess that I have 500 postcards at least. Oh, wow. and, oh But this, these are just my collections over the years. Okay. As far as from authors, I'm pushing towards, at, I know I have at least 50, if not more. And I keep those in a separate place because those are special.
1: <laughs> so. Something that I've done with postcards, you know, I don't collect from authors, but postcards that people have sent me over the years, I actually mounted them to kind of like a black backing, and I have them hanging on my wall as art. And so I grouped them together. So it's kind of cool, because then when I look up at my walls, it brings back all these memories of people who have gone different places and sent me things. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool, you know, to bring two things that you're interested in together that wouldn't seemingly, you know, you wouldn't think of putting those together, but yeah. it works on your site. Oh, so Thank you. Thank
2: you. I hope so. Um, well, the authors are really pleased with being on the website. So I didn't really know if it would work or not, but it's happening.
0: So I'm wondering what the process is for deciding on who you ask to send postcards into you. How do you select the authors?
2: Well, initially when I was trying to figure out if it would work, of course, it's one thing to have an idea. It's another to know if people, if anyone is interested in doing it. And I really had no idea. I was hoping so. So I have an author friend here in Richmond. Her name is Stacey Hawkins. Adams. She is a local author. And I just explained the process to her and what I wanted to do. And she kind of hesitated because, of course, it was something really different for her. But once I explained it to her and I asked if she would send a postcard, and she said, sure. And I told her I'd talk about her and what she's doing in the post. And so then I began reaching out and said, well, if I got Stacy. then maybe I can talk to a few other people who I know who are writers and they responded positively. So then I began, okay, it's time to really reach out. And I began just doing cold calls or cold emails. <laughs> so <laughs> so the first person I think first well-known name uh, a best-selling author was Jamie Ford, and he wrote Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet.
1: Yeah, and,
2: yeah. Yeah, so I just emailed him and told him what I was doing and asked if he sent send a postcard, and he says, sure. And so I was like, whoo, whoo, whoo. And I thought that was very generous. Another person is uh, one of your fellow Kentuckians, and I'm sure you know who he is, James Marker. Yeah. yeah. So he was very generous and willing to do it, and he sent a postcard. So from there on, I've emailed some people whose books I've read, and then others come from people I see on Bookstagram. Your audience is probably familiar with Bookstagram, maybe or maybe not, but it's a segment of Instagram, and you put in your post hashtag Bookstagram, and what it does is join all the like-minded book lovers together. So There are many authors on Instagram who use that to promote their books. And so I started reaching out to some of those people, too. And I've gotten a lot of positive responses. The more postcards I get on, the better the responses are.
0: And I wonder if, you know, if you ask an author if you can interview them, well, that could be a large commitment of time on their part. But a postcard, that's fairly low commitment. Like I think that that's a nice little snippet of somebody's thinking, for one, because they have to pick the postcard out, right? Do exactly. the postcards that people pick, are they generally like a vacation-type postcard? Or are they more artsy, or how do they vary in that way?
2: I would say it's some of both. Yeah, a lot of them are Welcome to Virginia, or they will have the name of their state, kind of mm-hmm. touristy postcards. Mm-hmm. And then I've gotten others that looked very handpicked or that relates to their feelings about life or or artistic. So I've, I've gotten a variety. Oh, and also book postcards. I have about maybe three or four on the site that are the actual cover
1: of the author's
2: book. So that's, oh. that's fine too.
1: So you don't limit yourself to writers that you've read. Is that accurate? No, I don't. I don't. Okay. I'm unfortunately not a
2: fast reader. <laughs> Some of the people who I follow on Instagram, and they have these book goals, 3 four, five books per week. And I always wonder, how do they do that? <laughs> but, but no, not me. So I can't, and especially then I need time to work on this project also. And then there's life. <laughs> so no, I don't read the book of every author who sends me a postcard.
1: That could interfere with feeling like you have to read something as an obligation versus reading things that you just want to read for the sheer entertainment of it. So
2: true. That's ex- that's exactly true. I don't review the books. I really just do a synopsis and I pull the information from their website or their other social media, their Facebook or whatever. And sometimes I'll Google them and someone's written an article about them and I might find out something interesting about them from that article. So from all of their press, so to speak, I just pull whatever information I feel is good to put on the blog post. But that's how I do it. It is nice when I have read the book because then I feel more connected to the post. I can't really say that it's easier, but I do feel more connected if I have read the book of the author.
0: So I did want to ask you about the book clubs, because most of the postcards are from authors, but you also have book clubs and podcasts and some other book related people or events on there. And why did you decide to include those as well?
2: Mainly for variety. And also just to give voice to those people who are also readers. And I find out who they are by being on Instagram slash bookstagram. And they're so dedicated to reading and promoting and sharing. And I just thought, this is a good, let me contact some of these people. It's a Q&A. If it's a book club, it's a Q&A. And also if it's a podcast, it's a Q&A. Instead of just something that I've gathered, I've actually done a Q&A with the group to ask things about uh, their book club. So people can, uh, may read it and decide, oh, this is pretty easy to do. Maybe
1: I'll start a book club. And so if a book club that checks out your website, could they contact you through your website and ask to send you a postcard? They surely can. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Just contact me via the
2: website. Well, my email address is very easy. It's postcardsandauthors@gmail.com. But there's also a contact button on the website and they can easily do that. I, I like the variety. I like the diversity that it gives the website.
1: So what have been a couple of the most memorable postcards for you during your time of doing your blog? There's one from an author named Erica Raskin.
2: She wrote a book called Best Intentions, but she sent a postcard. The postcard has a woman on the front and she sort of has very confident look and she's in her colorful outfit and she's sitting on her sofa and it says says something like expressing my inner self. And on the reverse side, she wrote something slightly, I think it was something like, oh, what should I do? Should I watch TV or should I write? Because of course, all writers feel that this is a time or that they shouldn't have too much downtime, that their time should be spent writing. So I like that one. I like all postcards, but some stand out because you have the image and then you have what the person writes on the other sides. But if both sides appeal to me, Then Mm -hmm. that stands out. So that one, she just seemed to just write it very quickly. It didn't seem to be something that was planned because a lot of postcards, I can tell that the person just sat and thought about what should I write. I only have but this much space, so I need to write something relevant and something good. And then other people just sort of scribble something. And so whatever thought that's on their mind, it ends up on the postcard and I kind of like that. But I but I like as I said, I like all of them. I really do like all of them. Another guy, an author named Cadwell Turnbull. I like his postcard because it was very different. It's a print of a photograph that's in the Brooklyn Museum, I believe. And I think it's called She is a Tree of Life, but it's working class black woman, I guess in the 1950s, and her two little children are beside her. And it's just very striking. I just didn't expect. That was the first postcard that I got that was, oh, this is really different. This is not your touristy postcard. Mm -hmm. So he's a science fiction writer. That one is very memorable. But on the back of it, he also has a really cool signature. (laughs) And he signs it with a heart. That caught my attention because I sign a lot of things with a heart at it.
0: Well, that's another thing I think is cool about... Asking people to send a postcard because for one, you have to put a lot of thought, or at least I did when I was trying to pick out the postcard of what you want yourself to be represented as or your group to be represented as on this postcard. So you have to put a lot of thought into that. And then on the reverse side, you have very small space to write something. And what do you write? I was one of those people, well, and when we did the podcast, when Carrie and I did it together, but we did put a lot of thought into, well, what do we want to say on here? I mean, we only have space for two sentences, probably. Yeah, what yeah. can we say in those two sentences that would be memorable or meaningful? So I think that that's something that's pretty interesting about the project that you're doing.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, be, one person wrote, uh, her name is Jan. I can't think of her last name, but she just said, you are a mystery to me. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's pretty cool. I think she lives on one of those islands outside of South Carolina, Edisto. And it's just really reflective of her personality from looking at the types of things she puts on her Instagram feed. So it's, it's sort of very reflective of what people write. I can kind of read a little bit about their uh, personalities. But again, I really like the variety. It would just wouldn't be fun if everything, if everyone said the exact same thing or tried to say the same things. But I do like when people try to represent where they come from and they're proud of where they come from. And I I learn a lot from the postcards. So they come from all over the country and um, I'm learning a lot.
0: I want to go back a little bit. You said in the very beginning before you started this blog that when you would read books, you'd often write to the authors and tell them what you thought or ask them questions. And I've only done that one time, I think. And it it was inspired by a reading challenge that I was doing. And one of the challenges was that you needed to write to an author of a book that you enjoyed their writing, which so I did it. And she did respond to me five or six weeks later. So I'm wondering what inspired you to start doing that? And did you often get responses to those?
2: That's a good question. Way back when, longer than I care to admit, before email, or maybe email was out, but it was just very new, and people were still into writing letters. So interestingly, I had a couple of responses. I have always been a person who have liked writing letters. I still do. I write notes. I send postcards, and it's just something that I like doing. I don't know. After reading a book, I just feel like I know the person just a little. So I write to them in a respectful way, but it's very down to earth. And maybe they can feel that and decide, oh, I think I'll write her back. (laughs) And so I have had a few responses. With social media nowadays, you don't have to, if you want to compliment someone or ask a question, you go to Twitter, you go to Facebook, you go to Instagram. So the art of corresponding by mail is sort of going by the wayside
0: a bit. And do do you miss that, that letters aren't necessarily a thing anymore? I mean, I shouldn't say it's not a thing. I mean, obviously people still do it, but not like they once did. Is that something that you lament or are you happy moving on to social media and doing it that way?
2: I can't say that it bothers me that much because I feel that if I want to write to someone I will. So I can be satisfied and fulfilled by being the writer as opposed mm-hmm. to having to receive mail from someone. So that that's very fulfilling just to write a note. And people will often respond, but they will respond with a text message or a phone call or when they see me, they say, oh, that meant a lot to me that you took the time to write a note. So yeah, I don't often get responses, but I, I really don't, I don't expect it because I know that a lot of people don't write. Don't uh, do the snail mail thing. So, but it's okay. So I can't really say that I miss it because of course I, I like social media also. And it's a good way to keep in contact with people. Of course it's fast. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving on.
0: <laughs> so you had said earlier that you didn't always love to read. As much as you do now. So I'm wondering, when did your love of reading start? What was your reading life like when you were little? And tell us a little bit about that.
2: Ironically, I was a good reader when I began school. I learned easily, I guess. But I think when I was very little, the thing to do with your free time was to get outside and play. I didn't have this urge to find a book and to read it. It was more about being outside and playing or playing games and toys and things like that. And reading was a thing that you did in school. Even though there was library in school, there's a library in the neighborhood. But reading, I just associated it with, that's what you do when you're in school. But uh, as I got older, there would be literature around the house, and I'd pick it up. And I noticed myself being attracted more to quick things, magazine articles. I tell people, I said, oh, in every Black household, there was a ebony magazine or a Jet magazine. <laughs> And so I became accustomed to reading those, but they're quick. You read an article and you're done. And then, of course, when I was in my teens, I didn't read all of the books that I hear people talking about, Anne of Green Gables and and books like that, The Secret Garden and all those Mm -hmm. things. I didn't read those when I was a kid. But when I got into my teens, I still didn't read those classic type books I mainly read girly type books, I guess, and mm-hmm. books, teenage books, and that you could read through them in a day. It's a couple hours, actually, or less. So I read a lot of those. But I eventually, yes, I did realize, okay, there's a whole world of books out there. <laughs> and I don't have to be in school to read them, or I don't have to read just the ones that I'm assigned to read in school. I would say I was probably in my 20s, early 20s when I began always having a book in my hand. And it started out, it was a lot of nonfiction, and I still gravitate toward nonfiction. And from then on, I've been continually always having a book in my hand.
0: Was there a particular book that flipped the switch for you? Or do you remember what some of those early books from your 20s changed your mind about that were?
2: I know I read a lot of memoirs, and they were celebrity-type memoirs. I remember reading Tina Turner and yeah. Dolly Parton's memoir and Joan Rivers' memoir. So this, this was way back in the 80s. And so I really liked memoirs. And then I remember when Roots was published. That's not a uh, memoir. I remember those in particular.
0: So would you say that your favorite genre really is nonfiction, but is it still memoir? What, what do you gravitate towards now?
2: Well, no, I won't say memoirs are first. I would say the nonfiction still catches my attention immediately because it's a, nonfiction is sort of a how-to do something. Mm-hmm. And I've always just been a curious person. And I guess I read because of curiosity, mainly. Mm-hmm. So nonfiction offers more, I thought it offered more information. And the memoirs, I always feel, are sort of inspirational kind of figure, oh, gosh, this person started here and, and is now here and telling the whole life story. And it's just interesting to me how people go from A to Z. So I don't read as many memoirs nowadays, I guess, because I have broadened and I read a lot of fiction. I joined a book club and the reason was so that I could uh, force myself to read more fiction. It wasn't that I wasn't reading fiction, but I just wasn't reading a lot of it. And so once I joined the book club, then I began to read a lot of fiction. And I really have a great appreciation for fiction, good fiction. They tend to do a lot of research and I'm getting that curiosity satisfied and that feeling Mm of,
1: oh, I've learned something. Whenever I'm reading historical fiction, I really struggle because I feel like my brain is constantly, as I'm reading, I'm going, okay, is this true or is this made up? Is this true or is this made up? And so sometimes instead of reading historical fiction, maybe I need to move more into just straight history or biography or whatever, because I'm constantly, I'm questioning. I want it to be real. I want it to be based on something that's accurate and yes. factual. So I struggle with that myself with historical fiction sometimes.
2: I do like historical fiction. I would say out of all fiction, that might be my top. And you do have to do your fact-checking on some things or when you read the reviews from people or the the posts that people put on their Instagram accounts and because the books are often discussed and people will point out when they say, "Oh no, that was fabricated or that was embellished or whatever. That really didn't happen in Nazi Germany and things like that. So there are books that will pop up that people will discuss and they feel that the author hasn't quite done the best of research or add it a little too much to the story. So but I but I take that into consideration. I figure if I'm getting sort of the gist of it then it's okay. One that I like was Lilac Girls that um hmm. have you all heard of that one?
0: I have heard of it and I have it, but I haven't read it. What's that one about?
2: It's focused on women in concentration camps during the uh, Holocaust. It was a special group of women and I think they called them the rabbits. And it's hard to read or hard to talk about. But the experiments that they did on them, it was on their legs. And so Mm -hmm. that's why they were called the rabbits, because, of course, they ruined the legs of a lot of these women. And ironically, one of the doctors was a woman, but I guess it just didn't matter, (laughs) who was doing the experiments. And so that was just something that I learned about that period of time from this fiction book that I had never heard of. So, Anita,
1: what is it that that you get personally from doing the blog?
2: I would say fulfillment. If I were to compare, some people like gardening. They have to garden. Some people like cooking. I like this. I like writing. I like reading. I like social media. I like photography. So, of course, I like the images of the postcards. I like the communication that I have with other people who are like-minded. I find myself that I'm really addicted to it so to speak. And one person in particular that I'd like to mention, because she's been very supportive in this whole process. Her name is Kathleen Rogers. She's an author. And she sent me an advanced reader copy of her book. It's going to be released in June, June 2nd, I believe, but it's called The Flying Cutterbucks. Cutterbuck is the name of the family. It's a military gold star family. And so I read the book and I really liked it. And she asked me, would you write a blurb for the book? And I thought, oh, gosh, a blurb. (laughs) So I did. And it's going to be, if all goes well, because you never know in the publishing industry. So it's going to be on the inside pages. That's one of the um, niceties. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about this process. It's it's just growing. And I don't know where it's going. But for instance, I'm on this podcast. (laughs) So... Things like that. I just, I'm having a big fun with it. And I wish I could say I got money out of it, but (laughs) (laughs) not quite yet. Do what you love and you never know where it's going to go. So I am hoping to build it and grow it.
0: Well, so if some of our listeners want to check out your website, where can they find you on social media?
2: Postcardsandauthors.com, of course, is the website. And then on Instagram at Postcards and Authors. It's just all spelled out. And the same on Facebook, Postcards and Authors. On Twitter, it's Anita, which is my first name, underscore Postcards with an S. They can actually go to my website and I have the icons at the top of the website that will link them over to these other uh, places. I give attention to all of it. And I like doing the Instagram stories. People will follow my account just to watch my stories i do like a little scrabble tile message every morning whatever comes to my head and just something inspirational
1: we're going to take a short break and when we come back we are going to all talk about what we're reading
0: We are back with Anita Martin, and I'm, I'm across town from Carrie, and as always, I'm going to ask her, Carrie, what are you reading?
1: So my sons and I just finished two books. They're both by the same author, Nnedi Uh She's a Nigerian writer. Well, I, I should say, I don't know if she was born there, if she was born here, and her family is Nigerian. But she lives, I think she splits her time between Brooklyn and Chicago. And she she has a number of books. But this is what I believe is going to be more than two books. The first book is called Akata Witch. And the second book is called Akata Warrior. And it tells the story of Sunny Noazu. She was born in the United States and her family goes Back to Nigeria. Her parents were born in Nigeria and her brothers were born in Nigeria. And when she comes back to Nigeria, she discovers something about herself. I should say she is albino. She very much stands out in general, but especially in Nigeria. When she comes back to Nigeria, she discovers something about herself that she has these magical abilities. And she becomes what's called a leopard person. Uh, A leopard person is basically somebody who has these magical powers. Lambs are what you call people who do not have magical powers or abilities. And so she becomes friends with three other young people who are also leopard people. And I, I mean, it's fantastical and it's epic in nature. You know, she and her friends are having to battle evil entities. The boys loved it. So I read both of these books aloud to my sons and they were both totally into both the books. I had read at some point people saying that it's sort of like a Harry Potter knockoff. So I think because I sort of had that in my head when I read Akata Witch, I sort of had that in the background as I was reading. And there are similarities but as I kept reading that book and then got into reading Akata Warrior, I realized that those are just sort of tropes and archetypes that are part of lots of different kind of literature. It's Sunny and she has three friends. There's two boys, there's two girls, and they are using their powers because they're all leopard people. They are fighting against evil in some form or fashion. And that is in Lord of the Rings, that's in lots of different types of literature throughout modern history. As I continued, I was like, you know, I don't think it's fair to just act like this is a knockoff of Harry Potter, because it's its own unique creation. It's not a knockoff of Harry Potter any more than Harry Potter is a knockoff of other books that have a group of friends who go on adventures to battle like evil lion entities. witch and the wardrobe I mean,
0: kind of thing yeah
1: exactly i mean there's tropes and archetypes that are part of lots of different narratives so my sons have never gotten into the harry potter books but they really loved akata witch and akata warrior and i think part of that is because it was set in nigeria so they were very curious about Nigerian culture. So for me it was interesting to see them develop an interest. While I'm reading and my sons have these inflatable globe balls that they beat around. You know, so reading time is not really quiet time in our house cuz they've got these balls that they're knocking around, but my middle child said, you know, he was looking at this globe and he was like, "Now where is Lagos?" because part of Akata Warrior they travel into Lagos in order to go to this mysterious land called Osisi. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, he's interested enough. He's looking at where Nigeria is. He's finding the capital. So I thought it was a pretty good story. And like I said, you know, when I read the first book, I was like, oh, you know, but then as we read more, it kind of occurred to me that it's got its own vibe, which I think is kind of cool. And, you know, the protagonist is a girl. So that's very different from Harry Potter. Kind of opened up, you know, my son was like, I think I want to go to Nigeria and see what that's all about. You know, so I, I like it that it has exposed him. Um, introduce so,
0: them to non-western yes. ideas and cultures and things like that.
1: Those are two books that I would recommend if you like fantasy because they are definitely, you know, in that fantasy genre. I would recommend these, Akata Witch and Akata Warrior. Anita, what have you been reading?
2: I have been reading. I'm I haven't finished it yet, but it's a book called The Stowaway and the subtitle is a young man's extraordinary adventure to Antarctica and it's by Lori Gwen Shapiro. It is nonfiction. Here I am again with a nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you would call it, I don't know, narrative nonfiction or literary nonfiction. But it's basically the story of a young man. His name is Billy Garonsky, G-A-W-R-O-N-S-K-I. But he's first generation American, and his parents immigrated here from Poland. He was the stowaway. So he managed to get, on a ship that was an exploration ship that was sailing to Antarctica, and the commander on this ship was Richard Byrd. He managed to get on, but it wasn't as simple as just, okay, I'm just going to pack a suitcase and sneak my way onto this ship. A couple of other stowaways had done that. Somehow they managed to do that. They brought their clothes, walk onto the ship. He did manage to get on, but it, it wasn't very easy. It wasn't simple. But he gained a lot of fame from this. He became famous for, this was a very big deal back then to go to Antarctica. It was just beginning to be explored. The Americans weren't the first ones there, but I think this Commander Bird, I think he ended up being the first one to fly over the South Pole. And so this, this was a really big deal. It was like going to the moon. And so the press was covering it a whole lot. And, but this kid, Billy, ended up being sensationalized. So it's about his life. It's kind of like reading Eric Larson books. Have you?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Like Dead Wake. And so it's a story, Mm -hmm. but it's something that happened
1: in real life. Well, Amy, what have you been reading?
0: So I finished a few weeks ago a book called The Last Painting of Sarah DeVos. It's by Dominic Smith, and it was published in 2016. So this was a book selection for the book club at my local art museum, the Speed Art Museum. And in episode 15, we talked to Shannon Carroll at that museum about that book club And because of that interview, I joined that book club and I now go to their meetings, which are every other month when we talk about art and literature. So this was the book that we talked about for March. And this book would fall into a subgenre of historical fiction that focuses on a particular painting or a period of art, and then the author tries to recreate a story around it. So probably one of the most well-known examples of this type of fiction would be The Girl with the Pearl Earring by Tracy Chevalier, which was published in the early 2000s, and it focuses on the life of the 60-year-old girl who's painted in the famous Vermeer painting. So that type of novel was very popular uh, at that time, and I read quite a few of them and enjoyed them. This particular novel, though, is set in three different time periods. The first is in the 1600s in Amsterdam, in the height of the Dutch Golden Age of art. And it focuses on a female artist named Sarah DeVos. And actually, Sarah's the better artist, but she helps her husband out, who's more well-known than she is, in his painting career, until he leaves her. And she focuses much of her career on still life paintings because that was an acceptable type of art for women to do at that time. And historical subjects and landscapes were considered the turf of male artists. But after her husband leaves her, she has to complete some of the work that was his in order to pay off his debts. And so one of the last paintings that Sarah paints is called At the Edge of the Wood, And it is a landscape. So Sarah DeVos is actually not a real person, but it is a compilation of stories of several female artists from that time period who were members of the Guild of St. Luke. And the Guild of St. Luke was this organization in Amsterdam that was sort of like a union for artists. In order to get good projects, you had to be a member of this group and you had to pay dues and you had to be in good standing and things like that. So, the second part of the story takes place in 1950s Manhattan. There's two main characters there, Marty de Groot, and he's a prominent lawyer and his family immigrated from Europe several generations ago. But his family is the original owner of the painting, the last painting of Sarah DeVos. And that painting has been passed down to each generation. And it hangs over his bed in his penthouse apartment. And one weekend, he and his wife throw a charity benefit and they bring in caterers and servers and entertainment into their apartment for this benefit. And then several weeks later, he realizes that the paintings have been switched and that he now has a forgery hanging on his wall. While he could not tell from the painting itself, he can tell because the frame is just slightly different. It's something that he stared at every day, getting in in and out of bed for, you know, probably 20 years. So he hires a private investigator to track down who they think did it. And they track it to a woman named Ellie Shipley. And she's an Australian who's moved to New York. She's an art history graduate student who specializes in Dutch Golden Age paintings. And she also does some art conservation on the side to earn some extra money. And it turns out that Ellie has agreed to do this forgery for a shady art dealer to earn money to help her afford to finish her degree. So then the third time period is modern day. And now Ellie Shipley is in her sixties and she has a prestigious position at an art museum in her home country of Australia. And that museum is opening an exhibit about female painters from the Dutch golden age. And the painting that Sarah DeVos painted is one of those that's featured. But there are two copies coming to the museum. One is coming from Amsterdam, and the other one is coming from Marty Groot from New York City, and he's bringing the painting himself. So it goes back and forth in time between these three time periods and, and sort of what is happening with the painting. What I like about this kind of book, and it's something that, Anita, you were talking about, and also something that you were talking about, Carrie, is that I always learn so much from them. It inspires me to look up artwork and artists and learn about those painting styles. I learned about female painters in Europe in the 1600s. I gained knowledge about how paintings are forged and how they're conserved. I really enjoy learning new things. I was one of those weirdos who loved school and college, and I like research. I like deep dives. I feel like it keeps my mind sharp. So this kind of book is perfect to scratch that itch. So we conducted this book club by Zoom and the director of of education at the Speed Art Museum, she runs those meetings, Shannon Carroll, and she showed us some pictures of works at the Speed Art Museum before and after having some conservation done on them. And it was really amazing to see the difference. And in fact, one in particular, once the conservator had taken away some of the yellowing varnish that was on the painting, they actually found some hidden writing underneath it gave the painting a whole new meaning. It was really fascinating. It started out, it just looked like a portrait of a woman. I think it was probably from the 16 or 1700s. And once they removed that varnish, there was some writing on it that was a name of a biblical female figure on her dress. And so actually that wasn't a just a standard portrait of a woman from the 1600s. It was supposed to be a portrait of a biblical character. And so It changed the whole meaning of the painting in a lot of ways. So that I just thought that was really fascinating. This is a type of historical fiction that I enjoy a lot of. So I thought I'd tell you all about it today.
2: It seems we all have sort of varied. I know we all read different types of books, but and I'm sure we read a lot that we all have in common. But when I do listen to your podcast, which I I think I've heard probably all of the episodes, it's it's really interesting to hear the the differences in the choices of books. So, but but that's reading, and that's. um, That's a gift we have to kind of select whatever we'd like to
1: read. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be asking Anita her top five.
0: So we're back with Anita Martin and Carrie, and we're going to ask Anita her top five. So, Anita, you and your site introduced me to a book that I read last year called It's Great to Suck at Something by Karen Rinaldi, and that book's all about enjoying an activity for its own sake because you love it, even if you're really no good at it, and she calls it suckitude. What I'm wondering (laughs) is, what is your top suckitude activity?
2: Okay, my top suck has to be Spanish, the language. I have been trying to learn Spanish off and on almost my entire life. I began learning Spanish in middle school, and I don't know why. I just didn't continue, but I didn't. So, of course, there went my stellar high school diploma because I didn't have a foreign language on it. But I like the sound of Spanish. When I hear people speaking Spanish, I always want to know what they say. And I'm so proud if I can just understand two or three words. So I decided... A few years ago, maybe in 2018, is now or never. I had the time to enroll in community college, and I took two semesters of Spanish. Both the classes were a lot of young people. I think there was one man who was my age in one of the classes, and he ended up dropping out. It was a bit much for him. <laughs> and But I stuck in there and uh, did really well. But I do have a problem. I don't know if you speak other languages or not, mm-hmm. but it's one thing to read it. I've mastered the reading, but listening to people speak is still very difficult for me. But I'm just determined. Stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. And I've lapsed and told myself, you need to get back with it because you'll never learn it if you don't get consistent with it. So now I listen to a YouTuber named Anna. Anna and i think she does butterfly i think her channel is called butterfly spanish so anna and i (laughs) anna is trying to teach me spanish and so i'm staying with it but i wonder sometimes am i going to wake up one day and bam i can speak it (laughs) or (laughs) i guess that's a dream but i don't know whether something has to click in my brain for it to happen I, I don't know, but I do plan to stick with it. So that that's my activity that I absolutely adore, but I suck at it.
0: Well, I will say, so my minor in college was Spanish. And even if you minor in Spanish, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Okay. So I could always read it better than I could speak it. I think because when you're speaking, you're not necessarily speaking proper grammar wise, you know, you might take shortcuts or you say a lot of slang, or maybe you shorten your word and they're talking faster. Whereas when you're reading, you can kind of read at your own. Of course. Case, right. Yes. So I got that minor and then didn't use it. And you know, now I feel like I've lost so much of it and it's kind of embarrassing, Oh, but good for you for trying to finish yeah. that. Yeah. And learn it.
2: Some of my friends, when I told them, oh, I'm taking the Spanish class and they were like, why, why would you do that? <laughs> So I, I do a lot of things that are kind of off the beaten path based on how
1: old I am. And I just think, why not? You mentioned that, that you like art. So what is your top art period or artist that you always make a point of seeing when you go to the art museum?
2: I actually, I don't go to see a particular artist. I'd like to go when they have exhibits. My local museum is the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. They call it the VMFA. And recently, I think it was in December, I went to an unveiling of a statue called Rumors of War. It's by Kahinde Wiley. Uh, he's a New York artist, or based in New York, I believe, but just these huge pieces. And he takes a everyday person and just asks them to pose. He did Barack Obama's Oh, yeah. Okay. that's Yeah, yeah. So if you can picture, I don't know if you've seen pictures of his portrait, but that's yeah. Kahinde Wiley's art. So I went to his exhibit there. And I think the last one I also went to was the Edward Hopper. He did the one with the Americana and hotels and hospitality. And that was interesting. So most exhibits that come through, I try to get to the exhibits. It's a diverse range of things that come through.
0: So you like to do some bird watching and like to identify them. What's the top thing you like about that? And do you have a favorite bird?
2: I suppose I have always liked bird watching as a kid, probably never defined it. It was just a natural curiosity. Oh, there's a bird. (laughs) But I don't recall knowing anyone who was a bird watcher who could tell me or could join me. In my bird watching. I mean, I'm pretty much a nature person, I guess I should say. I can't remember when I decided, let me try to get to know the species of birds and listen to the sounds and try to identify them. So I am totally a novice at this, but I can identify a few birds. And I would th- say that my favorite may be the morning dove. I think they mate for life, if I'm not mistaken. And they perched or they tried to build a nest on my neighbor's window ledge, which was adjacent to my window. I watched them for days and days. They were cuddling, they were flying and playing, and I like the shape of them, kind of big and round and poofy and with the <laughs> <laughs> with their little black eyes. So I would say the morning dove is my favorite, and I like that call. I hear them But I I haven't really seen a whole lot this season. I'm going to invest in some binoculars. I have some binoculars, but they aren't really that great. And so I think I need to invest in some really good ones. And at some point, I might try to find a bird watching group and do some hikes.
0: So it is kind of mesmerizing. We put a bird feeder right outside of our kitchen window. And so I keep it filled with bird seed throughout the summer and I love it. And in fact, I need to, I need to go ahead and put that bird seed in there now, Yeah. but all the different birds come, but it's interesting because some of them will chase the other ones off. Cause there's three, I don't know, probably three or four different kinds of birds that will come. But the most interesting one to me is when the woodpeckers come and they kind of like hang on the underneath of the bird feeder and peck up. To get the bird seed <laughs> yes. as opposed to like sitting on it like a normal bird would. And it's pretty interesting, but I find it fascinating just to watch them outside my window. Oh,
1: so. I would love that. I keep a hummingbird feeder. I love watching hummingbirds. I can sit on my deck, you know, and they'll buzz right by my head and it doesn't bother me. But my husband, if he sits out on the deck, he cannot stand when they the hummingbirds like fly right by his head. Oh. And last <laughs> year he was complaining. He's like, those birds are too stabby. And that's what he called them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." So, question number 4, once quarantine is over and people can safely travel, what is the top thing you'd suggest they visit and buy a postcard from if they came to your neck of the woods?
2: You can get postcards at all of the museums. So, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts is definitely a place where you can wander and and tour the museum. There's uh, we have a street called Cary Street here in Richmond. Oh! and uh, Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's C-A-R-Y, though. <laughs> oh, okay. That, but still, it's the same. <laughs> so Cary, they have a, and they actually have a section called Cary Town, and it's like a little miniature. It reminds me of Georgetown in Washington, D.C., something like that. Very artsy and with lots of shops and restaurants and things like that. But there's a bookstore called Fountain bookstore. And I go in there once in a while. It's an indie bookstore. They have a good selection of postcards. But being on Cary Street is is just fun to walk up and down the street and walk in and out of different shops.
0: When we lived in Virginia, we would go to Richmond occasionally and the pre-kids, I remember we went for a date and there was a restaurant, and I think you might have been on Cary Street, oh. and it was an Italian restaurant, but it was underneath in the basement of a building, but you kind of went down and it was called the Grotto. It was the best Italian food. It was so good. And inside, it was like all exposed brick walls, and it was just, it had such great ambiance in there.
2: Yeah, I, I have actually been there. And yeah, I think, awesome. yeah, I have. And I thought the same thing. Yeah, you, it's on the corner. And I thought the same about the food. It was delicious. It
0: was amazing. Yeah. Yes. So you also like botanical gardens. You said you were a nature girl. Yes, so I am. So what have. is your, do you have a top flower or an exhibit at your local botanical garden that you like?
2: Maybe my top flower would be a hydrangea. The botanical gardens in my enrichment is Lewis Genter. It doesn't take me long to get there. So I can Go on a whim, but yeah, I like hydrangeas. And at this uh, botanical garden, they have a butterfly exhibit. They also uh, during the the season, the summer season, and during the winter season, of course, they have festival of lights, which is I'm sure you all are familiar with them. I'm sure you have them in Kentucky, where they take all these wire creatures and put lights all over them. Do you have a light show there in
0: Kentucky? Uh, I think that they're. Doing one at the zoo. Okay, well what they were at our zoo, yeah, but I think yeah, it got were. canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, so they do that. The one here in Richmond, they do the holiday season from December through the beginning of January. So that that's a really nice exhibit there. But they have classes over at the uh, botanical gardens. They, of course, they have a nice gift shop with a few postcards. <laughs> <laughs> So everywhere I know where all the postcards are and yeah, I I really like the gardens there. They have the fountains and they have a body of water with the fish and the bridges that go over and lots of paths and they have a house there that people choose to get married there. So it's a really nice botanical garden and most of the plants and flowers, honestly, I cannot identify, but next time I go, I'll take my little pad, (laughs) what I do, I take a picture and then I'll take a picture of the sign that says what the flower is. But then it just stays on my phone and I never <laughs> go back to try to memorize it.
1: Well, the, the sad thing about this conversation is it, it makes me want to go to uh, TripAdvisor and look up all the cool things in Richmond. Well, but I know I can't go there for a while. Yeah. So it makes me a little sad. But one day we'll get back to life as normal. And I don't know, maybe, Amy, we should take a road trip to Virginia.
0: Oh, I love Virginia. I lived there for seven years. I feel like it's my home state.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, Anita, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. We appreciate you sharing everything about postcards and authors. Oh, you are very welcome. And if your listeners would like to send me
2: a postcard, I would love to receive them.
0: Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.